Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, Dante, am I up? All right, there we go. I think I'm up now. We are having a little technical difficulties. I think the ESPN programming is trying to override us, but we'll work through it. I think we'll we'll be just fine. Things seem to be straightening out, and we got we got our man Dante in there taking care of it. Um, we're going to start talking a lot of ice fishing, folks. The weather turned cold here. We may get some early ice. We'll talk about that. In fact, Lake John is already starting to see some ice form there. And I tell you what, early ice at Lake John is going to produce big rainbows, five to 10 pound rainbows. So we want to keep you posted on that. We're going to start our ice fishing series today where we get some of the most prominent people in the ice fishing industry on the show over the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to talk and in addition to that nationally. And then in addition to that, we'll get our local guys like Nate Zielinski and Austin Parr and Brad Peterson. So we've got a lot of resources to pull from. We'll still cover open water, and there will be open water alternatives available all winter. So we'll keep you appraised of those. We'll touch on hunting a little bit. You know, we've got deer and elk going on. We've got pheasants, uh, upland game, and waterfall all in full swing. So we'll try to touch on those. Uh, but it's this cold weather. It's going to be interesting. See how quick we develop ice. A lot of times we think, but we get fooled by it. But speaking of our series on ice fishing, let's go to the phones. And joining us today to kick off our ice fishing series, one of the most prominent figures in the ice fishing world. Um, You can't look at a magazine or watch a TV without seeing this guy's face on an ad for something. And we're so pleased to have my good friend with us today, Brian Bro Brosdahl. Good morning, bro. Hey, thanks, Terry. What what a great intro. (laughs) Yeah, well. I'm sucking up so I can get a guide trip out of you this summer. <laughs> Anytime. It just All you got to do is show up and we're on fish. Yeah. We and I have had some good fishing trips together, both in in the winter through the ice and uh, on open water. We've always had a good time fishing, so I, I appreciate it. And and with that, I'll say, folks, if, uh, when, if you ever want to book a trip in Minnesota, Brian has got one of the best guide services there. And not only does he guide ice, but he's a tremendous walleye and panfish guide, too. So um, we'll give you his, his information towards the end of the segment. Bro, it's uh, turned cold here, and you guys in Minnesota got some weather, too, I heard. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, hitting the 20s. Uh, it's been 20 degrees now for about uh, two or three days, and the swamps are starting to freeze over in some of the shorelines on the shallow lakes. Um, I'm at the Sioux Falls uh, Ice Show uh, with a little kickoff here, and I actually found a quiet spot I could I could talk. Well, that's good. Well, you know, um, here we normally consider ice fishing to start around Thanksgiving. I think that's pretty true there, too. Always weather-dependent, of course. Um, we have some mm-hmm. high mountain lakes. Guys are hiking up and, and ice fishing right now. But some of my favorite spots, we've got unusually, we're 15 degrees or more below normal here. We're in the 40s at a high during the day, but we're getting down in single digits, <clears throat> excuse me, at night. Uh, Lake John that I mentioned in the intro it was down to one last night. So we're starting to form ice, and some of the medium elevation lakes with some incredible trout fishing are going to kick off here. So the timing of all this is great. 
And what I like to do when I get a, a prominently national ice fishing figure on like yourself is just kind of go through some of the subjects that we see going on throughout the industry. And you and I talked a little bit, and one of the things you thought that, you know, we talk about how clothing has gotten better and shelters have gotten better and our equipment has gotten better, but you really thought the clothing changes over the last few years have taken another another vast improvement. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, everything, obviously, there's a lot of ice suits out there, but what goes under the suit is a big deal because a lot of your uh, hardcore anglers as well as newcomers to the sport uh, like to just wear a good hoodie when they're out uh, uh, ice fishing, drilling holes. I mean, that's all you need some days because it's in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and you could sweat really fast. But uh, I'm really liking uh, the Avco Samurai hoodie. It rolls up over your nose. If if you're on a machine or something and just moving from spot to spot, you don't freeze your face off. And then, um, and then I'm loving the Fish Monkey gloves. And everybody probably knows them as a company that uh, is has a sun protection in the summertime. And uh, but they have unbelievable gloves and that's what they are they just want to do gloves and uh gloves and feet that's their their main concentration and when you got the companies that come out with all the scientists they even have uh you know heat uh retention and stuff like there's actually clay inside the the glove uh uh, draped in different forms that uh, radiates the heat back at you plus the insulate and all that other stuff but and ergonomics so i think Good clothing make your day better and good layering. And of course, there's tons of suits, but that's that's uh, I think one of the new uh, big deals is what you're wearing underneath, so you don't just get uh, sweat soaked when you're searching for fish. Well, I think layering in any uh, winter outdoor in any outdoor activity can be so important. Um, I used to do some search and rescue stuff, and we teach some shows. Uh, we teach some classes on survival. I have in the past. I haven't recently. We're going to bring those back, I think. But one of the things we always talk about is layering and not putting like a cotton piece of something underneath that absorbs that sweat. You get something that has a good fabric and a hooded sweatshirt made out of the right material, especially one that, like you said, can come over and cover your face, just come up over your head on those chilly moments, just takes you right into that comfort zone. And this one you said is the Samurai by Afco? Yeah, Afco. They have uh, uh, so many different styles of hoodies with the Samurai. And um, you'll see when you look that up, you'll see just a, a bunch of different uh, uh, wares for that. And uh, it's, it's my absolute favorite for ice fishing. And uh, I see a lot of people found it even before before I mention anything. It's, uh, it's already popular. And um, and then the fish monkey gloves. Yeah, and fish monkey has really built a reputation. I'm going to admit I haven't tried their gloves yet, and I've gone back mm-hmm. and forth through the ice with a lot of different gloves. But I'm going to have to give them a try. Absolutely, uh, that's it's one of those things that uh, uh, a tenacious uh, engineer type owner who just wants the best and just picks one category and just wants to excel at it. That's where these companies do their best. They try to just do everything. It's not the best. Let's move on a little bit. I want a couple other subjects I want to talk to you about in pertaining to ice fishing. And one is all the new sonars. You know, we have 
we've we've had flashers for years. Sonar, as you and I both know, revolutionized ice fishing. In fact, I was kind of excited to be part of that revolution back. I won't even say how long ago because to tell people how old I am. But <laughs> we went from we went from flashers, and then we went to um, our typical standard type sonar views got quick enough we could use them ice fishing. You and I both used um, a hummingbird units. And now with the forward viewing sonar and the 360 sonars, you know, we're hearing and seeing so much of that on the ice and what it's doing. And we hear about the forward looking sonar and looking off in the distance, but you actually prefer the 360 look. Tell me about that. I, I, I love the 360 because uh, there's run and gun when you see fish or if you don't see any fish at all, but 360 has a way of picking up fish that you will not see. They're not off the bottom. <clears throat> so when you set the 360 in a hole in the ice and it does the radar search, like looking for a squadron of planes, you'll see fish and they show up as fish. They have shadows like a fish. And uh, many times I'll drill a field of holes and it'll tell me where the fish are. For one instance, last year, uh, there was one hole where we got a fish, and one of the anglers, I had him walk quietly because we only had nine inches of ice, not to stomp over there, and I said, there's a fish heading your way. And he intercepted that fish, dropped the line down 10 feet of water, caught it, and it was a nice walleye. And then he was getting ready to leave. I said, no, there's another one coming. And he caught that one. Now, you could do that with forward viewing, but you're going to be turning and not fishing. I was fishing while he was doing it, and I was catching perch because – perch are dully to the bottom a lot of times and it's just amazing you see all your structure right away and you can figure out where the big boulders are where the edges and go right up to them and and, you know put your set lines down so and you can watch fish come to your tip up and so i like to set it in the middle and uh everybody really loves 360 and that forward viewing is really nice if the fish are a little higher off the bottom they're like a sore thumb so but with hummingbird you could just unplug uh, two cables and plug in your mega live, drop it down and point at the fish. And if you fish straight up and down, you can watch them. And it's just like an ultrasound. You see the fish coming up and you can see movements of the fins and trails and, and, uh, your lure. And it's really changed uh, how we look at stuff. It's live and <laughs> mega live. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you my feeling about, I, I the forward view of sonar, especially, in open water, um, I've been just amazed by it and the things you can do yeah. and the, what it's taught us about fish behavior. But on the ice, especially up here in Colorado, like you do a lot more pan fishing out in Minnesota and the Midwest than we do here. <clears throat> when we do some pan fish, we do walleyes, but we do a lot of trout and trout tend to mm-hmm. cruise. Yes. And if you start chasing shadows by using your forward viewing sonar and you see some trout off in the distance by the time you go over there and drill a hole and drop a lure they probably moved on now with the 360 view if you know there's trout nearby in the area a lot of times another hole just close by to where you got your standard presentation putting a spoon down there and using as an attractor lure, you can bring those fish in without even having to move. And you're, because by the time you move, they might have left. And so it's a great Absolutely. way to approach fishing. And, and that, by the way, leads us kind of, kind of into a, a segue that you want to talk about a new spoon that's out there that would be a great attractor. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it became a new favorite uh, in last year. 
I, uh, I always like to bring a lot of different things, but I end up using it almost every single time. And, uh, but I got a lot of 27 to 29 inch walleyes on it. And that's a glass buckshot. It has, uh, rattles and it's, it's kind of a hyper, uh, frequency. It's really loud, high pitched, and it has translucent glass, but it's a, it's a combination of, uh, different types of ingredients. So there's in, in the center, it's, uh, there's lead, then there's, uh, an outer shell and then a glass rattle inside. It's super loud, and because of the glass exterior, it uh, has a different paint job and a different look. So your metallics really pop when it's on glass. They have a sheen to them. And uh, a lot of water I'm fishing is super clear. And some of it's dark, but most of it's clear. And 25 foot of clarity. Then these really spooky big walleyes, I was able to get a lot more, and I, I can't, just can't wait to drop one back down again because... I had some real crushing hits uh, from neutral fish that you wouldn't think would hit like that. Then the real trick is not to overload it with bait. Use a minnow head, but you don't have to put the biggest dog on minnow head that you can find on there because you don't want to impede the action. You want to rattle it and move it. And uh, if they come up to look at it, even if it's sitting still, they're going to hit it because the paint job's really cool. Something different. Now that's a north the Give us the name of the lure again. It's a Northland Tackle glass buckshot. And what sizes does it come in? That comes in an eighth, three thirty seconds, and uh, one-fourth ounce. So are you going to use the small one for panfish, too? Yeah, the, the eighth or the three thirty seconds. I cut a lot of big crappies on the three thirty seconds. Sometimes it's better to use, you know, just a little bit bigger one when you're fishing crappies and other times. You know, you want to you want to go smaller, especially when you're you you've got some uh, fish that are real spooky. But uh, three thirty seconds is just a good size for perch and crappies altogether. Okay, bro, we are running out of time, but a couple of things I want to mention. I want to mention you're doing a podcast about ice fishing. Tell people where they can find that and when it is. Yes, go to uh, Brian Brostall on Facebook Wednesday at seven, and we're going to have Terry Wickstrom on there. I'm glad you could come on the show at 7:20. So don't miss that. And it's all about ice fishing right now. It's all ice, and we're going to talk about ice fishing and continue this on. And of course, that's 6:20 out here, 7:20 your time. And then yeah, if anybody's interested, 7:20 uh, here at time. Yes, correct. And then so look look for Terry at 7:20, but it starts at seven, and that's the Bro Road Show, and it's on Brian Brostall. On Facebook, and if you can't watch it at that time, you can watch it later on YouTube. But it'll be streaming on Northland Tackle, Fish Monkey, and all the different pages. All right. And if people wanted to book a guide trip, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, go to uh, brosguideservice.com and shoot me a message. Or follow me on Facebook and let me know uh, what you want to do. All right, my friend. We're out of time. But as always, great information. And I really look forward to you and I getting on the water again together. Absolutely, but until then, we're going to talk this Wednesday. All right. We'll talk to you then, bro. Okay, thank you. Bye. You bet. Brian Bro Brosdahl, just a great resource and a great angler. We're going to take a timeout. We come back. We're going to talk about the wolf situation in Colorado. There have been a lot of questions. We're going to get some answers on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.
are listening to Terry Wichdom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, uh, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, I never heard so much talk about wolves in Colorado until the last two years. Now it's on the tip of everybody's tongue, isn't it? It is, yep. It definitely is. Well, you know... I think maybe we should kind of take people through how we got here. First of all, wolves were hunted and trapped out of Colorado. They were natural here, but many years ago, uh, it, that's true, right? That's right. Yeah, they were they were extirpated or last in the state, I believe, in, in the 1940s. And then a couple of years ago, a plan was put in place by election of the public to reintroduce them. Kind of take us through that and what the status of things are. Sure thing. So, so what was um, Proposition One Fourteen has become state statute thirty three dash two dash one hundred five point eight, and that directs uh, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission to develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado uh, to take the necessary steps to begin that reintroduction no later than December thirty first, twenty twenty three, on designated lands west of the Continental Divide, and to pay fair compensation for livestock losses caused by gray wolves. So we've been um, hard at work since since that um, since that state statute went into effect. So, uh, beginning in April of 2021, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife contracted with Keystone Policy Center to conduct a public involvement effort. Uh, we've worked with them to hold uh, 47 public meetings over the course of uh, 2021. We collected feedback from more than 3,400 Coloradans, um, and additionally, we appointed two advisory bodies uh, to begin working on on the plan. So a technical working group uh, who was, has contributed their expertise towards the development of conservation objectives, management strategies, uh, damage prevention and compensation planning, and then a stakeholder advisory group uh, that provides recommendations to staff and the CBW commission as they took on drafting the plan. So um, that's where we're at right now. Those technical, uh, those advisory bodies have finished their work in August and at next week's commission meeting, um, the stakeholder advisory group final plan will be presented and discussed. And then uh, coming up on December 9th is the first presentation of the plan to the CBW commission. That'll be at a, a virtual meeting, a public meeting, and the public will be able to view that meeting as well. Um, and then following that December 9th meeting, uh, we're going to have a series of, of meetings ar around the state where we're going to, to collect feedback on the plan um, for in-person um, and then one virtual meeting. So so we're, we're looking forward to kicking off this process and getting even more input from folks as they see what the what this draft plan looks like. I'll get back so we can tell people where they can find the information to participate. But that brings us to where we're at right now. Um, you know, people are hearing a few, um, a few, I don't know how many, but some, some livestock has been killed by wolves in Colorado. And there have been wolf sightings. And so immediately people started maybe pointing fingers or jumping to conclusions. Oh, Parks and Wildlife is putting wolves out there and they are decimating the wildlife. Well, or decimating the, 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 wild, the livestock. Well, that's not the case on either part, is it? Right. No, we haven't we haven't reintroduced any any wolves yet in Colorado. Um, there is a known pack of, of wolves in Jackson County. Um Colorado. So uh, we definitely try to <laughs> emphasize whenever we're communicating on the wolves that are, that are here that naturally migrated or the two breeding pair, uh, the breeding pair naturally migrated uh, from out of state and then um, had six, six pups. So um, 
so that's where that pack came from, but, but was not reintroduced by Colorado. We're doing the, the work of uh, both communicating what's happening with, with those wolves in Jackson County while at the same time communicating how we're working on drafting this wolf restoration and management plan to, to implement the state statute. Right. Now, these wolves that have been spotted and that have done some um, <clears throat> depredation on livestock are wolves that naturally moved down here from Wyoming, um, and they would have been here whether this plan was introduced or not. But the, as far as the depredation and reimbursing the the ranchers or landowners, you already were doing that under the game da- game damage program, I believe, and that includes wolves, mountain lions, bears. Is that right? So, yep, our game damage program um, currently includes uh, bears, mountain lions, and and the wolves will work similarly, although um, there there is some kind of finalizing of how, of where the funds will come from. But but by statute, they won't come from from hunting and fishing dollars. They won't come from those that that pot of funds. So um, you know we're we're still figuring that out. But but there still will be a, a game damage program for wolves, just as there is for um, for bears, for mountain lions when when those incidents occur. And, and so. Um, you know, we've had a few incidents already in Jackson County where there have been depredations and we've been working with the rancher to, to investigate those claims. And when, when we find wolves have been responsible for depredation to, to make sure those ranchers get reimbursed. Now, a couple of quick things before we run out of time, what is the current status of that, that do we know the current status of that naturally occurring wolf herd here in Colorado or pack here in Colorado? I heard one of them might have been harvested in Wyoming by a hunter. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife did receive reports on October 14th that, that three black sub-adult female wolves had been legally harvested in Wyoming. Uh, we don't have a way to confirm that the wolves killed in Wyoming were part of the North Park pack. However, based on information that's been provided to us and just how close um, it, the reports were to Colorado, we believe it may have been part of the North Park pack. Um, it's not uncommon for that pack to travel into and out of Wyoming. So what we're doing is we're continuing to monitor the North Park pack to see what their status is, if and when they're next seen in the area. We're, we're doing our usual on-the-ground surveys and talking with anyone who might see the wolves and be on the lookout for any wolf sighting reports that are submitted to us by color, by uh, members of the public. We have a wolf sighting form on the website. Um, we, can, we can tell folks that our biologists did confirm at least two wolves uh, in the North Park area on October 28th. So those wolves were visually seen, though the lighting in the distance made it impossible to confirm the coloration of those animals. We also, um, in addition to that visual confirmation, howling was heard as well. So, so that's what we're able to tell folks right now, and that we're we're continuing to to monitor those wolves um, as as they're in their as they are in Colorado, and we're able to monitor them. Now we're going to run out of time here, but one of the things I want to clear up, uh, wolves are protected in Colorado, but they can be legally harvested in Wyoming. Is that right? Right. That's correct. Now are the wolves, all the wolves we see that the ones coming in naturally and the wolves that will be introduced in Colorado in the future, are those all gray wolves or sometimes called timber wolves? That's correct. Yep. The the wolves that will be introduced are gray wolves. Are there any other type of wolf that does come into Colorado occasionally? Uh, the I believe the Mexican wolf does, although there aren't any established packs. Um, and that's in the southern part of the state. That that's correct. 
Okay. So I think the one message we want to get out there, folks, the, any livestock that's been depredated hasn't been from wolves that were brought in and stocked. Those are wolves that came here naturally. In fact, you have, I think, what's called a wolf resource guide online. Is that right? Yes, we do. It's, uh, I definitely would encourage folks to, to go to CPW's website, check out our Wolf FAQ, check out our resources. Um, one of the great resources we do have is the is a depredation guide, both in English and Spanish. Um, was, and we adapted it for Colorado from, from folks in Montana, but it's a, a fantastic guide to um, how to how to prevent wolf depredation, some of the resources that the ranchers can access through Colorado Parks and Wildlife and how we're um, working working with folks to, to try to minimize these these depredation incidents. And last thing, could you very quickly tell us when the meetings are and when people can attend? Definitely. So the December 9th meeting uh, is the presentation of the of the draft plan for the first time. That's going to be a virtual meeting um, on December 9th between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Uh, folks can head to wolfengagementco.org to on December 9th to, to view the plan itself as it's being discussed. Uh, and so definitely... Keep around CBW's website for that and, and attend that. Um, and then following that will be a public input process um, with meetings around the state. So January 19th in Colorado Springs, uh, January 25th in Gunnison, uh, February 7th in Rifle. Uh, February 16th will be a virtual uh, Zoom meeting, and then February 22nd will be in Denver. All right, my friend. Thank you for bringing us up to date and answering some of those questions. Travis is always a great source of information. Thanks for having me, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet, Travis Duncan from CPW. We'll take a quick time out, and then when we come back, we'll see. How would you like to stay at a Colorado campsite for free? All that and more coming up in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Get me running, and you know I'll be around. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, we've been talking a lot of ice fishing. Jack's is fully stocked with ice fishing gear and their stores up and down the front range. So stop in now and get your ice fishing gear while it's still there. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Beth Hill. Good morning, Beth. Good morning, Terry. You know, it's a beautiful day and it's a little nippy. And people aren't camping as much, but they're getting out more in the winter than they used to. But, boy, the campgrounds in Colorado have been getting used during the the summer, spring, and fall seasons. And you have opportunities for people who maybe would like to stay at some of those places and not have to pay. Is that right? Yeah, we sure do. Um, Right now we are trying to recruit for the 2023 season. So anybody who enjoyed it last summer or wish they should have gotten out there, we are trying to get people who would like to volunteer and get a free campsite in exchange. And that is the host opportunity. Now, we've all seen these camp host signs as we've gone to the campgrounds and those type of things, although they've never rushed out with a glass of wine and a sandwich for me, so they're not that great of hosts, really. But <laughs> oh, man. Just, I'll have to talk to them about that. <laughs> but I'm just kidding, of course. And they have different duties at different parks, but it is a, a great way. Before we get into the different duties in different parks, um, are there qualifications? How do you become part of the program? And and when you do become part, are there are there things that you necessary activities you have to do? Um, you know, basically, we're looking for anybody who just wants 
you, um, like I said, throw in some volunteer hours. So the qualifications are pretty minimal. Uh, usually the tasks are things like low maintenance, like um, picking up trash um, at campsites or cleaning bathrooms. Um, sometimes it's interacting with the public and answering questions, promoting educational opportunities or selling park passes. So it's something that anybody could really do. Um, I don't remember what you had another part of your question. And the tasks actually vary kind of by the parks, don't they? You said there's some some you were telling me like at the hatcheries where they may actually give tours, but maybe at a wildlife area, they may have very little interaction with public. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So there's something for everybody. So if you're someone who'd really like a free campsite and wouldn't mind volunteering, but you don't really want to work with the public, we have locations like that. And you're right. The hatchery thing is a really neat opportunity. They train you to give visitors tours and that's just part of the volunteer work. So what are the typical dates that these openings are available? So most of them are opening starting in April, and they tend to go all the way through the summer into September. Um, and they're pretty flexible, too. So a lot of places, you know, want someone that's going to be there all summer, but they know that a lot of people can't do that, so they'll take what they can get. So some people are like, hey, if you offer three months of wanting to volunteer, we'll take it, and other people can only do a month, and there's parks that will take that, too. Okay. And so is there a site you can go to to find out where these uh, openings are and what dates? Yes. So we have everything listed on our CPW Connect site. If you go to that on the homepage and scroll down, there's a thing at the bottom that says Get Involved. If you click on that, um, there's a search engine. You type in host. And then it will pop up with all the host opportunities that we are currently advertising for the 2023 season. Okay. What are some of the common parks people that you hear about? Give me some examples of places where there's opportunities. Um, you know, we've got places all over the state. We've got, you know, busy places like Cherry Creek uh, have a ton of opportunities. Um, we've got more remote places like Pruitt Reservoir or a Navajo State Park. Um, we've got places like Arkansas, I'm sorry, Arkansas Headwaters Recreational Area. So it's pretty much all over the state there is an opportunity. It's a great so there's something for almost, Yeah, there's something for almost anybody who wants to be outdoors. And what do they provide? At a, is it a campsite big enough for a, a full-size RV? Is that normally what it is? Usually. So it does vary by site. And that is something when you go on to our website and you're looking at the opportunities, there will be details about each location on what they provide campsite wise. Um, but most of them are full hookup. Some of our remote locations aren't currently, but they are working toward that. So that would be something to read in the details. Now, and each park you look at, it might kind of describe the, the, um, duties that you might be expected of you online is that right yes and and you and when you sign up if you get selected and become a park host if my understanding is right you get free entry into the park while you're there and you have to do i think it's usually about 20 hours of work a week of some kind of duties and that's all that's really required of you but then after a certain time you get an annual pass for free also is that right yeah, that's correct. So most parks are act asking for about 20 hours a week. A lot of them like couples. So 
they'll ask 20 hours from each couple. Um, but yeah, once you've done your 20 hours, the rest of the week is your time and you can enjoy it at the location or you can visit other areas of the state. Um, and once you've put in 48 hours, um, a volunteer service, then you get an annual state park pass that covers you for the whole year. All right. And if people want to know more about these opportunities, where would they go to find them? So again, they can go to the CPW connect and click on get involved and put in that host, um, type in host into the search inquiry. But if that's uh, not working or they still have further questions, they can email us. It's cpw.volunteer at state .co.us. Um, I also have a cell line for just this program. So if anybody has any questions, they can call 303 uh, 945 and we can answer your questions there. And do these, um, these things occur during the year too? Because I'm sure you lose some, but are there, do they fill up pretty quickly? Yes and no. <laughs> Some of the most popular sites do because once somebody gets their foot in the door, they like to come back every year. Um, but we have seen a lot of turnover too because um, this is these are people that are living in their RVs a lot of times or just traveling a lot during the summer and they want to see different places. So right now it seems like we've got around 100 openings. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities out there. All right, Beth, thank you so much. Great program. I hope people take advantage of it. Thanks for joining us and sharing with us. All right, thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Beth Hill from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. She, uh, you know, what a great way if you're an RV or just spend some time in the parks, do a few a few hours of work, and, and you know, cost of camping and everything nowadays around fixed income maybe gets you that campsite for free. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We are really going to switch up and talk some fishing. We're going to talk to uh, Dan Shannon from Fishing with Bernie. We're going to talk to uh, Nate Zielinski, who's going to talk hunting and fishing. And then Austin Parr is going to talk fishing and maybe some upland game and more. all that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. To Terry Wisdom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us from the Fishing with Bernie group is Dan Shannon. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. Hey, you know, I couldn't help but think after watching that hurricane that hit Florida here in the last couple days, um, we're going to get be getting ready for ice and we'll talk about the weather and cold and snow up here, but uh, our friend Bernie, who kind of fled the state, even though was, your group still has his name, he probably went through some weather down there. He did go through some weather, but uh, he was able to skate by and uh, just lost some branches on his trees and had to put the boat away for a couple of days, so wasn't able to fish, but uh, he was able to make it out unscathed. Well, we're glad for that, but we always like to give Bernie a hard time no matter what. Sometime when you are, you and I are together, just having a adult beverage or a cup of coffee. I want to share some of my Bernie-isms with you that myself and the guys at In Fisherman developed. Oh, I'd love to hear those. They're kind of like, you know, how Yogi Berra-isms? They're the Bernie-isms. Maybe one day we'll even do some on the radio. We'll just dedicate a day to it. But right now, <laughs> I assume, you, you know, obviously you still have open water up where you are, and... That could change more rapidly than we think with these temperatures. Now, Granby's a big lake, 
and they'll be open water for a while. Well, instead of me rambling, why don't you bring us up to speed of what's happening right now? So right now we're still open water. You know, it was minus one this morning, so we're definitely uh, dropping that water temperature quickly and hoping to start growing some ice, particularly on the smaller bodies of water. But Grammy's still open water. Williams Fork's still open water. Grand and Shadow are. Um, Monarch is starting to get some ice. Um, I was up there last week, and it had some skim ice, so I'm sure this uh, nice cold uh, cold weather should, should put a little bit little bit more ice on. I might actually be able to ice fish that here in the next, uh, maybe by the end of the month, beginning of December. Now, before we get into some of the ice fishing opportunities up there, uh, are you still catching the spawning rainbows? Or are you starting to chase big fish? There's kind of a transition where you the spawning ones kind of filter out and you chase big fish. Where are you at in that? So right, we're right at the end of the spawn. There's still some fish up on the spawning beds uh, for the lake trout, so they're, they're up in those rocky areas. Uh, we're still catching some of those that are at the end, but we're also... You, know, you can always tell when it's at the end by uh, we're starting to we're catching a bunch of rainbow trout that are in there eating the lake trout rows. So uh, definitely catching lots of rainbows in there while we're jigging for lakers and starting to see a lot of lot of big fish show up in the shallows. So that bite's just starting to kick off as well and should get nothing but better till they close the boat ramps. How long will they typically keep like Granby open? Because this people don't understand. We talk in spring a lot about the big bite and we we talk ice fishing, but there's an opportunity right now when that water's cold and those fish can be anywhere before that ice comes in where they're accessible. Yeah, so the boat ramp here, the last boat ramp open on Lake Granby is the Stillwater ramp, and they're looking at closing that here uh, last week in November, typically by the 1st. A lot of times that's they want to make sure the hunting seasons are done. People are done using the lake. And then the, the, ins- the inspectors, I believe, will be end of the month is when they'll stop inspecting boats and close her up. Is there any kind of a shore opportunity for open water, or is they starting to get too much skim ice on the shore by then? Oh no, there'll be there'll be plenty of shore opportunities. In fact, I'll be I'll be out there with the other people walking shorelines in my in my muck boots, uh, walking those muddy shorelines, casting and hoping to get into a few big fish from shore. Yeah, and will it's a great opportunity. Any particular presentations you like to use right now? So these the big fish they're looking to have a big meal so we gotta gotta think what their primary uh, food sources those bigger fish their food sources are so uh, they eat a lot of suckers they're gonna eat a lot of rainbows and and brown trout they're gonna basically eat anything else that swims that's smaller than them. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the upcoming ice fishing opportunities and some of them are a ways off and then I want to kind of transition to see if you think there's a couple you mentioned that maybe will freeze earlier but. Starting out, the lakes like Granby and Grand Lake, they're pretty big bodies of water. They take a lot of time to freeze. Are the water levels low in Granby, and do you think it'll freeze a little sooner? What kind of ice fishing opportunities can we look forward to there? So the water level on Granby is still pretty good. We're still sitting right around that 90% full mark, so it's only down about 10 feet. It's not, it's not down super far, so it's going to be a full body of water to freeze. Probably looking at Lake Granby. Usually we're out ice fishing it by the second week in January. I know it feels far off, but, you know, it's big body water to freeze. Uh, and we definitely want to get out there once it's safe because uh, there are some spots on the lake that, that do take a little bit longer than others. Um, as far as Grand Lake, Grand Lake's usually the week before Christmas or right around Christmas time we're able to ice fish Grand Lake. Um, and that has a really, really good early ice bite for, for rainbows and brown trout, like, uh, it, it's super fun to get out in the shallows and sight fish the rainbows on that on that lake. 
And Will, and William's work is going to be, they're usually about right that week after Christmas or so is kind of what we start planning on, maybe first week of January. It's just a touch touch sooner than, than Granby, just all depending on what we're going to get for cold this winter. And we'll get you on closer to that because those those lakes provide some of the best lake trout, uh, best ice fishing, especially for bigger fish in the in Colorado, and they're just tremendous fisheries. But you have some smaller, shallower bodies of water like Willow Creek, Shadow Mountain, Wolford. When can we expect maybe, and I know we're at, we don't have crystal balls, but we're getting some cold weather. Any chance we'll see some of those in the near future? Absolutely. You know, I mentioned Monarch Lake earlier. I'm, I'm thinking that one's going to be like a 1st of December kind of lake to fish, lake to get on the ice for. Um, Willow Creek is usually going to be in that first part of December as well, smaller body of water. And, you know, Willow Creek actually fared pretty well after the fires, and I heard the fishing through the ice has, has been pretty and, – and open water has been, been pretty good there. We get an opportunity to catch kokanee still out on, on Willow Creek. Uh, Wolford – you know, Wolford's all going to depend on the wind and the cold. Usually you'll start seeing that. That's a more of an end of December kind of lake. But, uh, you know, it has it has froze up earlier. Um, just it all depends. A lot of it's all condition dependent for, for some of those lakes out there. And what about Shadow Mountain? So Shadow Mountain usually is a little bit earlier. You're probably looking beginning of December. Um, part of that, it's going to, that, that one's going to depend a little bit just on the weather and then how much pumping happens because, um, you know, since we're, we're water storage kind of reservoirs, we, uh, it's going to depend on how much water is moving through that lake as to how it freezes. So if people are making their plans and they want to get up to some of these lakes and ice fish, do you guys still have openings for guiding? We, we do. We're, uh, right now, uh, we're booking trips for our January uh, through March. Um, we have the uh, we have three ice guides right now, including myself. So we're definitely still have some openings, and uh, but we are booking up quick. You can tell as the weather gets colder, the ice fishing's definitely getting getting for uh, getting to the front of everybody's mind. So starting to book a lot more trips. So if you're looking to get out here, uh, definitely give us a call and get get your day set, and we'll go out and have a great time. I'll tell you, some of my best ice fishing of my life has been spent on Gramby. Uh, just both fishing for the smaller fish when you get some action sometimes and taking a group out there and, you know, getting that group into fish with constant bites or hunting big fish. Uh, I've just There's just some big fish in that lake that just give you an opportunity. And for the people that are, you know, can't get out in a boat, uh, ice fishing gives them access to the entire lake. And, of course, you have the tournaments coming up. And are you going to be out and about and people want to meet up with you at all? Absolutely. So we'll be we'll be out doing uh, seminars and in-store stuff out at Shields at the, the first couple weekends of December. Um, we'll also, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be out there for the Three Lakes Tournament, which is going to be the last weekend in January. So if you're looking at fishing the tournament, make sure that uh, definitely purchase your tickets now. Don't wait. And uh, hope to see you at the way station. All right, and I'm going to share one Bernieism with you before we go because we have about a minute, okay? Sounds so good. We were filming an ice fishing television show, and there was a bunch of us. It was it was a bunch of names that were familiar myself, Chad Lachance, Nate Zielinski, Bernie. And the camera person was so impressed that they could move their tripod around and they never had to adjust it because the ice was flat on top, right? Because the ice was level. So the camera person could go from person to person, set up the tripod, 
and never have to adjust the tripod. And Bernie said, well, that's because we're fishing over a flat. <laughs> that definitely sounds like a Bernie, is That's great. It, it is. I've got some more for you. We'll get to them later. But, Dan, thank you for joining us. We'll keep you on and get you on a regular basis as uh, ice fishing starts to happen up there. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Dan Shannon with Fishing with Bernie. Great people. Just good people. And you know what? That's going to be a tremendous experience this year. There's cold weather coming in. We never know. We say it. And sometimes it affects us early. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, hopefully, because we get this lull in the open water, then there is open water, but we love to get out on the ice. All right. We're going to take a time out real quick. When we come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us. He's going to talk some hunting, but I bet he sneaks in some open water and ice fishing, too. Ontario Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.